how can you effortlessly capture something and drop it into the system to do something with it later? And that's why these tools for thought are just beautiful for venture capital. A lot of venture capitalists use them. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Phil Moore. Phil is a partner at major deep tech venture capital firm, Main Sequence Ventures, where he focuses on health, food, and environmental companies and leads the Feed 10 Billion People Challenge. Prior to Main Sequence, Phil co-founded the first tech incubator in Asia-Pacific, Pollenizer, and was CTO of file-sharing company, Kazaa. You can find more on his work on Medium at philmall.medium.com, that's P-H-I-L-M-O-R-L-E, and on Twitter at philmall. On this episode, Phil shares insights on synthesis and venture capital, thought hacking, thinking tools, scaffolds, the infinite game, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Phil's fabulous insights. Phil, wonderful to have you on the show. Brilliant to be here, Ross. So this this is a topic you've been thinking about for a long time. And I just dug up something which you wrote in 2007 saying, we are becoming good filters, but poor philosophers. We're good at information retrieval and storage, but not so good at the long thought. We need time to think. So do you still agree with uh, what you said 15 years ago? I do. And if anything, it gets harder, doesn't it? Because there's so much information to pass and so many transactions that we need to transact every day that having that moment to properly think and work through a big idea is challenging. And it, I, you know, I find that it, especially difficult in my work today as a venture capitalist where synthesis is is the core skill i think and um uh so so it's important that we find that that time to think and the tools to help us think so you talked about you just mentioned synthesis and yes well so i'd love to sort of let's let's get to that i think there's a lot of elements which precede the uh active synthesis but what's how do you enable that you know is this a state of mind is this giving yourself the space to think as we mentioned is this what is it that enables you to synthesize all of the signals that you get well i'm a real sort of thought hacker if you like and that i'm just trying everything you know every notebook every tool every meeting format and you know i do i do have a system that i kind of like and it's ever it's ever evolving I must say that coming out of COVID, 
one of the things I like the most is getting back in front of a whiteboard with a bunch of people because synthesis really happens in a wonderful way with a team. Um, it, um, uh, you know, for example, I, I just spent some time with the team working on their pitch deck and just workshopping that with them. And because we were in a conversation, all this stuff was coming out of their mouth, which was super rich and super interesting and was much more valuable than the very dry stuff that was in the pitch deck, which is the kind of stuff you do natively and powerfully when you're sitting on your own in a room with a screen in front of you. Um, so, so I, you know, all the tools that I have, sometimes the best tool is a whiteboard of, you know, a, a marker pen and, and a couple of people and that, and the ideas forces yourself into other spaces. And I think where we go into sort of digital spaces, that's where, that's where I need that equivalent of a, other people. Like what are the prompts? What are the, the, the processes on rails that kind of pull you through that kind of force it, that forces me to do that rather than just to, um, you know, just get my emails done and just transact, 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 transact all day. How do I, how do I force myself into that position of thinking like I'm with some people around a whiteboard? So I'd like to come back to the process, but first of all, the, the whiteboard, what, what, if you're at the whiteboard and you're having a wonderful conversation, what, what does it look like afterwards? What's, what's the, do you have any patterns to, to the sorts of things you put on a whiteboard? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm a very visual person. So I like connective tissue. So kind of mind maps, I suppose, would be the most likely outcome for me. Yeah, either I'd say my I'd say my whiteboards are either a mind map spider or a or a grid with a timeline with different dimensions to the timeline. You know, I think from a venture perspective, so much of what we do is it's about what might be the story that plays out over time and what are all the different layers to that story. So that's what might get us to the kind of grid. But the synthesis I think really comes from the mind map. That's where you get all these sort of strange connections in a graph that you know that you might not have thought to do had you not co-located those two bubbles next to each other so you have mentioned i think more recently as well as uh, earlier in the, you know all of the wonderful stuff that you share online that you do have some processes and workflows so why don't we start at the beginning as in input input so what what you know what information sources do you find are there particular times of day is there any particular approach that you take to getting your sort of the the crude raw input that uh, goes into your thinking well this is in really important for me because come eight o'clock in the morning I start getting smashed from every digital channel there is my phone rings the emails come in about 10 different portfolio companies and their Slack channels light up. One company might have a big win, another might be having a disastrous situation, and just the day just goes right out of control and it's all inbound information. So the first thing that I do in my life, which I found really helpful and I enjoy it enormously now, is I start my day really early. So I start my day at four or five o'clock in the morning. It's me time, uh, it's synthesis time, it's reading time, it's putting together the plan for the day, it's making sure I've collected everything from yesterday that 
that I haven't sort of got to yet. And the the collecting of information and things to do and insights is something that just has has to be incredibly quick, like frictionless, because that's how I don't get stressed about it. I know I've captured it. And I know that my process will have a loop at some point where I come to it and I pick it up and I put it somewhere and I and I do something with it. Um, I'm one of those people who really doesn't like an open loop and, and really doesn't like feeling like I'm in somebody else's open loop. So I don't like to do that to other people. Um, so, you know, I have a, you know, I have a whole series of tools that I use for for doing this. Um, the big, the biggest change for me over the last year is, is to become a disciple of tools for thought as they're becoming known. So this is tools like, uh, Obsidian, uh, Rome, um, and now, uh, a tool called Tana, which I, which has kind of become the epicenter of my, my work. You can think of it as a, as an outliner in its simplest form. But every bullet in the outline is a node in the graph, and all the graphs kind of link together. So um, if I say I'm having a meeting with Ross Dawson, then the word Ross Dawson leads me to the entire history of everything that we've done together. And in that same thing, you know, we'll be making notes about all kinds of things, and they all start linking together. It's not a structured database. It's a graph. And so this really helps me to think. And throughout that, there are there are prompts. Um, so, for example, at the beginning of my day, I'll walk you through here. So, I mean, I think of it as, um, you know, having a habit, you know, like a, a chef comes into the kitchen and you prepare your tools for the day. You know, you chop your carrots, you prepare your herbs, you have everything lined up, you partially cook some things. So you're ready. And then people start coming into a restaurant and the world goes mental, right? But you just grab the knife because it's in the right place. You grab the carrots that you've already chopped. You, you, you kind of, you're ready. You're not, you're not panicking trying to find the basic things. So every day when I open up my Tana, uh, I have a prompt that asks me if I'm playing the infinite game. This is my reminder each day to sort of behave a certain way. I then have a sort of startup routine that I have to do. So for example, there's a check that series of checkboxes and the first one is start music. And the reason I have that is that I have to focus and I struggle with that. Sometimes I can have just a noise of a noise of tasks in my mind and priorities all competing and, or I just might be brain dead, still half asleep. I know that if I put my headphones on and I press play with the right kind of playlist, it's like a, an ADHD tablet. I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of zoned in. And it's amazing how without the prompt, I'll think, oh, today I'll just sit here quietly and listen to the birds outside. That's what I'd like to do. And every time I do that, I have a really ineffective hour. I met, you know, some people would say to people, maybe you should do that, Phil. Allow yourself to have a, an ineffective hour. But if I, I know if I put the headphones on, I'm in the zone. So what's the right playlist for you? Just a, a number of electronica, some experimental soundtracks. Basically, the, the theme is no, no lyrics, right? 
I almost um, don't have any famous artists. I just go into this sort of voyage of discovery into all the worlds of Spotify. But um, but just just having something with a little bit of a pulse to it just get me into the zone, and then I can you know start getting things done. And then I just literally have check boxes for just basically where all my inboxes are. So I have some inboxes in Notion where team things come in. I have inboxes in my email, obviously. I have things to read in Readwise Reader, so I collect those. And then I, if I can get it all done in the morning, then I'll literally process those things. I'll go through it. I'll reply. You know, one of the most important ones is just review yesterday. So in Tana, I can just sort of click a link. Yesterday comes up. I can see everything I did. I can do a search of all the tasks that came up yesterday. You know, I have I have this little list that I call the snowball, which is just all the stuff that's not been done in the last three days that's accumulated. And so that just becomes my whack-a-mole. It's my whack-a-mole, you know, just to sort of get those things done. But that just, that whole process just keeps me Keeps keeps me on rails. I know where everything is, um, and I've got to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm collecting everything as I go. So when I do have a moment to synthesize and think and process, I can, I know I've got everything there. I haven't missed something. So you've written, uh, as far as I could find, six posts about using Rome as a VC. Yeah, and I think Rome is something which um, could be described in many ways. So I'd like to hear you <laughs> describe what Rome is and. For those who, uh, you know, I suppose more more listeners will probably not be using Rome. So, right. but a little bit around how it is that you use it. Yeah, Rome is um, it's a brand new paradigm that's really difficult to describe. You know why it's valuable when you start to use it. Um, but I think most people are familiar with hypertext and the way the web works. You know, you can you can make a a link. Uh, that shows up in blue text or whatever on a website. If you click on that link, it'll take you to a page that you've made at another uh, URL behind that behind the link. Uh, but you have to manually go and make that page, right? What happens in Rome is this idea of these two-way links. So as soon as you go, if you in Rome, it's sort of two square brackets. So if you go at meeting with square bracket square bracket Ross Dawson close the square brackets, it's immediately made a node in the graph for Ross Dawson. And then at any time I can go into, I can click on Ross Dawson and see the entire ledger of activity that Ross Dawson and I have been going through over time. And it's by date and any other tagging and everything that I want to do. And so what that means is you're never trying to decide where to put something. It's like the, it's like the difference between Gmail and Outlook. If you are you an Outlook user or a Gmail user? Or... <laughs> Gmail for some time now. <laughs> so that you know, Outlook users are you know frenetically trying to manage this folder system, right? Where he's got these folders down the left hand side. You're going, does, where does this email go? And then Gmail said, forget about that. Let's just sort of let's just make the search really good. Right. Well, this is the same. You just you just tag things as you go, and everything just shows up at the right place. So next time I go, next time I go meeting with Ross Dawson, I've got my entire record of all the other meetings we've had, instantly there, doing no work for it. Um, and you can also do things like uh, time travel, 
Um, so you can sort of say, um, uh, meeting with Ross Dawson in two days and then write some notes underneath. Um, and th- what happens then is in two days, those notes show up right when you've got that meeting. Um, and so, um, so it's just fantastically powerful. The reason you understand it later is you just start using it. And in the beginning, you feel really uncomfortable because it feels like oh, just I'm not filing anything. I'm just making notes. I'm putting them down everywhere. Uh, and then three or four days later, you meet the same person the second time or you go back to an essay you're writing or you some research that you're doing and all the information's there just automatically clustered. Um, it's incredibly valuable. And, um, and you know, I, got, I, I converted a lot of people that work into it, and my son is a devotee as well. Um, it's, a, it's very good software. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. So you also mentioned Obsidian a little while ago. So Obsidian is you know, usually considered an alternative to Rome. Yeah. Are, are you using both or have you tried Obsidian? Or do no, you any- I, I, so I did try Obsidian. Obsidian is obviously beautiful software. The difference between Obsidian and Rome, from my perspective, is it Obsidian is not a graph-based database. It's, it's a much, much better version of Evernote, I think, to put it very, very simply. So still you've got a series of markdown file notes that you're sort of collecting and you're having to sort of think about where things go but it's very very powerful but a lot of people use obsidian uh when they're writers for example and it's got a very nice interface for writing longer form documents and things like that and still having some element of a sort of uh beautiful easy to use note-taking system but rome i had to i tried i tried to leave Rome because it was um, it's kind of ugly and hacky and obsidian's beautiful and I just but I it didn't work like my mind and that's these things come down to that in the end don't they they kind of have yes. to map to what's going on in your own brain and so I went to went back to Rome but that but that's why I've now moved to Tana you can tell the earlier uh, earlier doctor crazy person here but um Tana is basically building upon the Rome paradigm. And at the heart of Tana is this idea of a super tag. And so, for example, here what I've done is for this for this session, I've I've gone um I've got meeting with Ross on productivity, and then I tag it as a meeting, which is just one that I've made. And then because of that, it's automatically dumped in all the metadata underneath for all the things I want to get out of this meeting. So it just keeps, it's it's on, it's the life on rails again. So are you using Rome as, uh, concurrently with Tana or is you really essentially shifted no, to moved, Tana? moved all over and you can import Rome. It's like my Rome graph is in Tana now. Yeah, well, I, I use uh, Obsidian 
Yeah. And so still need to sort of play around with other other alternatives. But there are you know, there's a now profusion of tools coming out. So if you're yeah. if you're trying to keep across what there is, I mean there is this wonderful thing. So interestingly, um John Borthwick of Betaworks, his latest uh camp has been thinking tools. And so yes. that's his latest investment theme. And as he does, I think there's an, still an enormous opportunity in the space. It's still very fragmented and and all of these tools we've mentioned, Roman Obsidian and Tana, are, are still basically for geeks. They are. They are. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, they are. And you're right. It's a paradigm that that maybe goes back to how we began this conversation, that it gets harder and harder to synthesize in a heavily transactional world. And what are the tools that are going to help us to do a better job of that and this whole tools for thought? category has emerged so i i think that uh you know venture capitalist vcs are, is kind of like the the epitome of uh information overload because yeah. you not only need to keep in touch of your you know your own industry but also that of the your portfolio companies and be able to keep across new companies coming up but also the underlying technologies that are driving all of those uh domains and particularly you know with you working in deep tech everything is new whichever, whichever way you're looking so you do you do refer in some of your posts to particularly how is this relevant to VCs? And I'd like to just unpack that a little bit. And sort of what are the I, things which are, I suppose, specific or informed by, or where you know the VC world or can teach us around, you know, useful processes or workflows. Yeah, I think I describe it as being like a fire hose of information from the you know from the first uh, encounter with a human in the morning to the last encounter at the end of the day is just this information coming in. Yeah, my, my calendar app has this uh, feature called Rewind, which I looked at last week, and it told me that I met 1,788 people this year. Uh, and then each for each of those people, they were talking about really complicated things like uh, making proteins or enzymes that recycle plastic in different ways and things like that. And so collecting the information that comes out and synthesizing it and the people and you know some of the some of the people yeah there'll be very quick meetings it'll be like a 30 minute quick meeting to sort of try and find a fit understand where someone's coming from i have a principle where i want everybody to get some value out of every meeting so i kind of you know try and think about how to do that which means i can't kind of use the whole 30 minutes just kind of small talking so so it's, it's just a massive amount of information. And again, that's why this need for inputs is really important. How can you effortlessly capture something and drop it into the system to do something with it later and sort of collect a record of everything? And that's why these tools for thought are just beautiful for venture capital. A lot, a lot of venture capitalists use them. So do you build any, you know, what I think of as meta frameworks, as in think about a particular domain and try to build some kind of a a lattice of knowledge around that particular area? Yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, at the simplest level, it's what what I like to try and do when I live my life on rails is even when you're having a bad day, how do you perform at your best? So um, even if I'm tired and fed up or stressed about something, but then I have to meet a founder who's working really hard on their business and it's really important to them that it comes across well and it 
and it and 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 they want to sort of get some value out of the meeting you know i ma- i make sure i've got a a good framework that asks me questions and also helps me ask them questions and then i collect it all in a sort of similar format and it's just a scaffold it's not a you know it, it doesn't have to sort of play that way but it means i can i can if that's what i if that's what i want to do and then that also means that you know as we go through you know i can start looking at things on aggregate so that takes us back to the synthesis i can start querying things based on the similar answer to the same question that multiple people sort of create which is quite interesting the other thing that i try and do throughout is you know i have a kind of journaling and um sort of insights framework that i have which again i can just collect it very quickly into these systems and then at the right time when i'm doing my kind of weekly planning and things it all comes up to the surface again so then i can see you know that that's something that was just collectly uh, just quickly collected whilst i was walking down the street or in between meetings or in the middle of a pitch session or whatever I can just collective move on, and then I can I can sort of think more about that insight at some other one of my five o'clock in the morning sessions. So, is there so any particular elements that scaffold which you described? Is it a series of questions or particular facets of what it is you're you're trying to uncover? Yeah, there's things like um, like for example, a new thing I'm doing at the moment is because so much of my work is in in a meeting with somebody. And so, um, and I'm trying to figure out, yeah, you know, which ones fuel me and which ones drain me. And, you know, I should do, uh, you know, of course, you still sort of have to do some of the ones that drain you, whether you like it or not. That's, that's life. You've got to do a mix. But what I've started doing in my scaffolding is every meeting I have, I have to give it a score, like whether it drained me or it fueled me. But, and then what I can do is when I'm doing a bit of a review, I can just look at my week and go, okay, look at this pattern here. Like this meeting just keeps coming up and it's draining me. What do I do? Do I, maybe I don't need to be in the meeting or maybe I can redesign how the meeting actually happens so that it's more impactful and more fun, you know, and things like that. So it's just, and again, if you just collect it in the scaffold, it's just a very simple thing. Zero workload, basically. It just takes like half a second. But then the insight that gives at the end of the week is terrific. Well, and in fact, one of the, that could be valuable to other people. I did some work with Rob Cross, uh, who was at the University of Virginia at the time, around energy and networks, where essentially you can map organizations by whether a perceive, people are perceived as energy givers or takers. Interesting. And that's actually provided you some pretty strong insights into organizations, but also contexts. Because yes. again, it's not just the individuals, also the context, which could be, you know, somebody may be energizing in one context, but not in a particular type of meeting, for example. So there's yeah. a, a lovely lattice of uh, information that you could get if uh, other people followed that uh, as well. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's good just to be mindful of it, isn't it? And understand what's going on. I always think people having this conversation recently, for example, that, you know, here we are, it's the first year on the other side of COVID, we've all rushed out, gobbling up the world again. Yeah, I, th- I think nearly everyone I know has been phenomenally busy this year and is exhausted. And yeah, you know, to your point about the meetings and sort of energy givers and takers, you kind of each person, each face you're seeing around the room or on the Zoom screen or whatever is loaded with a kind of stuff 
aren't they at that at that moment that you kind of don't generally acknowledge in a meeting but it's it's in the room <laughs> yes yes yeah yes. yeah so so in a minute i want to sort of just come back to you know i suppose get a summary from you and also just any things which we haven't covered but i mean to your point around making sure that you get as much value as i have from this uh, conversation uh you know and hopefully part of it is being able to share you know, and I suppose be aware of what you are doing. But um, is there any questions you have for me or anything which would uh, help you make this a useful conversation for you? You're the expert. I've told you some of the things that I'm doing. I mean, what is it? How do I level what I'm doing to get better at this fire hose? I think the, the, the big thing for me is always that you have some cl- you know, clarity on saying, oh, this is you know, what I describe as your personal information plan. And this maps out for me saying, okay, defining your purpose in whatever ways, you know, and I think there's a couple of layers to that, you know, from the infinite game through to, you know, what are the impacts you want to achieve or how that framing different aspects of your life. So thinking about your relationship to your areas of expertise you want to develop, what those are, the your ventures, your well-being, your, you know, your family, the, uh, you know, what, what are the news more broadly is relevant to you or not. And from that, having the you know the time boxing for what it is that you you know where where it is you are focused, where it is you know in terms of information activities, where it is you are making time for regenerating, where it is your time. But I think it's an interesting thing, and I think this I did refer to improvisational theater in Thriving on Overload, uh, the book, as just one tool for how it is we get to a state of mind of synthesis. And so you have a background in theater. uh, And I think that that's something where it's not just that activity, but there's also other spaces that we can put ourselves in. So synthesis is, yes, partly being able to have all of the pieces of information connected. But I think part of that is also how do we find for ourselves what are the spaces, you know, or the states of mind in which those can things, and what are the right times of day to be able to do that? How do we get to those places? So this is this, you know, the conscious unconscious, you know, nexus and how we pull that together. And I think, you know, you're probably better than that than most, having lived in arts and technology and business and pulling that together. Yeah. But I, you know, I think it is, you know, the part of it is that it's it's making it the whole as much as possible. So you know, and again, you know, in thriving and overload the book, there's many tactics, but it is, or you know, more broadly, this framework of starting from purpose and flowing through all of the elements of the information inputs and the frameworks you build and the, you know, enhancing your ability for attention and ending up at that synthesis, which in a way is goes beyond the the conscious mind or anything that the technology can support. Yeah, one of my favorite hats, so I got it here. Have you seen these? They're called the uh, Oblique Strategy Cards that Brian Eno wrote. I haven't seen those ones. And uh, they're designed for if you get stuck, if you get kind of, you know, writer's block or artist's block and you're procrastinating, and the idea is you just pick a card and then you do what it says on the card. So this one says courage. This one says accept advice. This one says, voice nagging suspicions. Use an unacceptable color. 
and it's and it's it's great. You just sort of uh, you know just sort of when you get a bit stuck or a little bit bored, you know, you might be writing a you know a, a dull report for somebody. You can sort of pick a card up and make it a bit more fun. So that's quite a good that's quite a good thing to do. What about um, the infinite game? That's a new thing for me. I'm very interested in it. Have you have you seen this in play in the world in any interesting places? Well, I read James Cast's original book, Finite and Infinite Games, a very long time ago. So it's it's been, an, I suppose, implicit. And so the the quote, yeah. which I, you know, I've used in more keynotes than than any any other, is yeah. finite players play within boundaries, infinite players play with boundaries. Yes. And yeah. so I guess that's I'm always attuned to that. And I, I suppose yeah. this, you know, for, you know, just an example of that is my first book was uh, I've, I've gone into the field of knowledge management and everything was just the first thing that hit me is, well, this is all about internal. Well, how about outside? Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. knowledge outside and across organizations and relationships. Yeah. So I wrote a book about that. And I guess all yeah. of my framing has always been going beyond the boundaries or playing with the boundaries. And I think what is delightful today is how organizations and value creation and, you know, ecosystems and everything is going beyond boundaries. I mean, I think the classic... You know, the, in a way, that finite, infinite games, is is almost best expressed as the ecosystem. Yes, because the ecosystem that is has to be infinite. You are participating. You know, not you know, not sort of separate from everything else. I think that's right. You're you're at the service of something bigger, and it's it, it's almost unacceptable. Well, it is unacceptable to get to the end because if you've got to the end, you've made it too small. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a it's a big it's a good reminder. Uh, you know, when it, whenever I feel too competitive or feel envious of somebody or something like that, the the reminder that I just need to play the infinite game, you know, helps me get through. So, any closing comments or recommendations or things which we haven't covered that would be uh, could be useful to our uh, listeners? You know, I'm a bit of a nutcase when it comes to these systems. They are, I'm sure listeners can tell I'm I'm an early adopter. And I'm an early adopter because I'm constantly looking for what's going to give me that extra edge, that extra 10 minutes, that extra bit of ease, that extra ability to capture things and not worry about them. And, and there's something a little bit obsessive about it. And I find the balance that I have to have is how to then let go of it. So what I do is I find myself going into a phase where I kind of lock in a new habit. The new habit gives me, you know, a new capability of some kind. It either works or it doesn't work. But then I have to sort of consciously step outside of it for a while and just let it let it just relax a little while. So that the life's on rails and it's helping me because it's on rails, but it doesn't have to be on rails. I can, you know, I can step off the train if i if i want to do that and i think that's important as well otherwise i'd just be a a bit of a robot but uh, <laughs> but there's some amazing tools out there to help us today fantastic thank you so much for your time and your insights phil really really appreciate it thank you Lars. great chat thank you for listening to the show if you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information go to thrivingonoverload.com 
where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.